Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Ugh, sometimes I feel life is so complicated. The spending part's easy for me, savings a bit hard, but working out what I value, particularly when it came to my money, was probably one of the most important things. Understanding the trade-offs, the good, the bad, the in-between, and understanding that not everything is throwing money away because we might have people in our lives that say, oh, don't do that, that's a waste of money. And that's only because they wouldn't do that. But we all have these weird quirks and kinks and all that around our money. And we're going to talk about it today on the podcast. We're going to talk about how to spend money, understanding your money values and all the good stuff in between. I'm really excited for this episode. As part of the podcast, we have a show partner and you've heard the show partner before and you'll hear it again. And our wonderful show partner is TAL. That's T-A-L. It's easy to understand the value of investing in protecting our material possessions, but sometimes we have to think twice about how much we're worth. Am I right? And that kind of ties into this whole values thing, right? You are valuable. Trust me. TAL are big believers in the value of you. And that's why they're Australia's leading life insurer and they're committed to protecting people, not things. That's TAL, T-A-L, protecting this Australian life. For more information, click the link in the show notes. And if you're interested in having a chat with a licensed financial advisor around your own personal and family protection, head to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help, and I'll be more than happy to introduce you to one of our quality advisors who work with people all around Australia. So today we're continuing our chats from FinCon and this is a really cool one. I've tried to have Jan Smith from the Frugal Friends podcast on for a long time. COVID happened, I didn't get up to the States. The time zones were annoying. So we finally sat down a couple of weeks ago in Orlando and you're gonna have a lot of fun. You're gonna be encouraged with this episode. But speaking of episodes, I want you to go over, subscribe to the Frugal Friends podcast. That's Jan's podcast. And also search My Millennial Investor. This is our newest rebooted podcast. And I was doing these episodes on an ad hoc basis, but I really, really, really wanted to do weekly episodes just about investing in shares, weekly episodes about passive income stuff, weekly episodes about turning your side hustle into your full-time thing, all the stuff that is around investing. So we've got a new host, Nick Bradley, on My Millennial Investor. He's a friend of mine. He is fantastic. Go over, hit subscribe, My Millennial Investor. Send it to a friend. You're going to have a great time over there on that podcast because I'm not going to be there, right? Anyway, my name's Glenn James. You're listening to My Millennial Money.
All right, Jen. Who are we dealing with? Who are you? What are you called? Tax file number or what's, what's <laughs> so social, wait, my wait. social security what's number? What's your social security number? What's your <laughs> what's your PIN number? What's all the things? Who are we dealing with? And we are live at FinCon, the financial bloggers conference or whatever they call it, and we're out in the conference area. So, so if we get distracted, it's not our fault. It's not our fault. Uh, so my name is Jen Smith, uh, and I co-host the Frugal Friends podcast with uh, my good friend, Jill. We are friends in real life, too, not just on the podcast. But we really saw a gap in the personal finance podcast space about teaching people essentially how to spend money, not overspend, but not underspend. So teaching people how to find what they value and spend on it, but maybe more importantly, find what they don't value and learn how to say no to it. It's interesting, like that notion, like growing up through school, it was always like, get tuition on the subjects that you struggle with and focus on your weaknesses. Mm -hmm. Where in real life, once we're a functioning adult, we can say, look, I know my weaknesses. I'm not going to focus on that, but I'm going to double down on my strengths. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, with our money, we've all got money strengths, right? I think conversely, if we do want to do better with our money, we do need to learn how to control it. And maybe getting some of that control could be some of the frugal living tips yeah. that you share week in, week out, right? Yeah. There's there's this notion of balance. And I agree with you on saying like doubling down on what you're good on. That really does. It's that 80-20 principle where mm. you know 20% of your effort gets you 80% of your results. It's an efficient way to live. Um, but, and I, I kind of hate the word balance because if you've ever tried to balance two things, especially like tall things, I don't know, it's really awkward. It's hard. I like the concept of prioritization. Mm. So you can spend a time focusing on your strengths, your gifts, doing that, but then take some time off to focus on some of your weaknesses, which for most people it is developing self-discipline and developing good spending habits and stuff like that. So you just take a little bit of time off, focus on that stuff, develop those good habits, and then you can transition back to your strengths. Yeah, I think you're right because I've said for years and years, and I know this, that I suck at saving money, right? But I like investing. So what I had to do, I'd become an investor Mm -hmm. and not try and be this saver. So I've got my emergency fund and I am a bit cash heavy, And I think it gets to that point where in our life, as we grow up and have more income coming in, we do get to a critical mass of we've got a good income and the wheels are turning. But for me, I'm not going to try and be a better saver. I'm just trying to be a better investor, Mm -hmm. which makes me spend less money on frivolities and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, and that's a great strategy. And I think when you when you focus a little bit on your spending and you take the time out to do that, it allows you to have space to get more creative about the things you're good at too. When you, anytime you take time away from something that you've been like really deep in, you gain perspective on it. So I think when you take time to think about, okay, what are the things that I really love spending money on? What are the things I'm going to spend on without guilt and as much as I want without guilt? And then what are the things that maybe friends, family, social media are telling me I should spend money on that I just actually don't really care about. That's just marketing. Mm. So when you can start to learn to discern the two, you actually create space for your mind to be able to get more creative in other areas. So think um, more 
discerningly about investing, to think more creatively about earning. So you just giving yourself that space can also help you in your other strengths. So the Frugal Friends podcast with Jill, uh, your good friend, how long have you guys been doing that podcast? So we've been doing that for about four and a half years. Uh, We got over... 250 episodes at this point. We just started doing twice a week um, over the summer. So, and we, we really run the gamut of what we talk about and everything has this spin back to um, taking ownership of where you spend or where you put your money. So not just like do these steps and you'll gain financial freedom, but like, how do I, how do I invest without wasting money? How do I save money on groceries efficiently? Um, so we, we just try and give these alternative spins because frugal is this concept where everyone believes that it's just being cheap or mm. depriving yourself. Mm. And so for the last four and a half years, we have been trying to dispel that myth with every episode. And even our own definitions of frugality have evolved over that time. So it's, it's been this really cool ride um, where we've learned more about ourselves and finance. Do you think you are a spender or saver by nature? I really, I, it depends on the day. Sure. Okay. So I am married to a super saver. So if you look at me next to him, I'm a spender. Wow. All day, every day, I'm a spender. But if you look at me next to like the general population. (laughs) Yeah, you're pretty frugal. (laughs) A saver for sure. Like I love investing as well. Um, I, we just like, bought a second properties to get into real estate. So like we love doing that sort of thing, but I also love buying lattes and buying takeout. Like mm. those are things I really value because I hate dishes. Yeah. Um, but then there's a lot of things like I don't have a lot of clothes or like I don't, I buy used cars and keep them for a while. So stuff like that. Mm. Um, it's picking your battle, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Hey, do you think it's getting easier or harder to be more frugal and I guess shrewd or wise or something with your money because we've got this problem in Australia, the cost of living. Like Mm -hmm. I know inflation's crazy in the States at the moment, but things are getting out of control. And Mm -hmm. I I reckon honestly, within probably a three-week period earlier in the year, families may have had at least a $50 increase in their budget just Mm -hmm. from fuel or food. I'm probably being generous by saying $50. Like it could have been a hundred dollars a week just within a three month period. Like it's just wild. Yeah. It's insane over here. We've seen about like a a 27% increase year over year on groceries alone. Like it's been crazy. And for us, the amount of money you spend doesn't, isn't what makes you frugal. Mm. It's your mindset behind spending. So really inflation and all of this really doesn't affect uh, the frugality part. It, it affects the budget for sure. Um, but I think if you are frugal, then then that's a mindset and you are going to live frugal and spend on what you value and say no to what you don't, regardless of what the cost is. And I think it makes it easier to be frugal when you can say like, oh, I'm so glad I'm not spending money on these things that are inflating, but I get to, now I actually have the money to spend on these things I really love where other people may be cutting back across the board because they weren't paying attention to their, to their spending. So I think it's a, it's definitely more difficult on the pocketbook. It's a little more painful. Yeah. (laughs) 
Um, but I think frugal, the frugal lifestyle is really a lifestyle of freedom mm. because you, you really can like, I, when I started budgeting, I, cause we, uh, when I got married in 2015, we decided to pay off all of our student loans. And so my husband and I paid off $78,000 in two years. Wow. And I went too hard into frugality. I budgeted and I really was that, you know, that idea of deprivation that you, you think of when you think of budgeting and frugality. And so that was one of the reasons that we started Frugal Friends is because I wanted to find like what we now call the radical middle, but it's, and that's what people that don't have like this kind of what we're calling like an updated frugal mindset, like an actual true frugal mindset, like that's what they're living in with this heightened inflation is this, these feelings of deprivation. So when things go back to normal, it's going to go right back the other way and, and oversetting. We saw that a lot after the pandemic is that uh, where people saved all this money, they yo-yoed back mm. um, right after. And so I think when you have the, the frugal mindset that says like, I say no to a lot of things. I just don't spend money on a lot of things, but they're the things I don't care about. Mm. Um, and then I spend without guilt on the things I really love. So do you think like your frugal vibe, because you're right, like I, there was this band in Australia like a million years ago. I think they're called like the Frugals or something like that. And <laughs> I just always hated that word. It's probably because <laughs> I didn't like the band. And so you're kind of like, frugal 2.0 as mm-hmm. like because this is like so you know the fire movement like yeah. what do you have yeah. a, a two second take on fire um that is extreme deprivation and in, in i think it's people that paid off their student loans they have a debt payoff hangover and instead of funneling money to debt they just funnel it to investments which is awesome and healthy right but <laughs> what i'm what i'm seeing is there's fire movement of five years ago mm-hmm. and now we've got fire 2.0 mm-hmm. and my take is the fire thing was that I will live not frugal I will live cheap and tight to mm-hmm. amass as much as possible so and I'll continue doing the job I hate because I'm just gonna amass wealth and then tap out yeah fire 2.0 is more like oh just do what you want and find your purpose and all these other vibey stuff. And yeah. <laughs> like in, in my book, I reference uh, this saying that I use. I call it loot, not fire, but loot. Life on own terms. Ooh. Because like for that. me, why would I want to continue doing something that I hate to earn money and amass money? Because everyone's like, when I fire, I will do this. Mm-hmm. When I fire, I'm like, no, no. Control your life today. Do it now build a life that you don't have to retire from. Amen. And I mean, so you're kind of frugal 2.0 where it's not stingy, it's not tight. It's just almost paying attention and only spending money on things that you actually value. Yeah. Because the, I I think another like take on the fire movement is like the ends justify the means in anything you do financially, but the, you're never, you're never promised the ends. So you're never promised to make it in the five, 15 years when you think you're going to retire. So you're not promised that. And the means are really all you have. The, the ends never justify the means because the means are, is life. And the end is always death. So, so yeah. living life to the fullest while trying to be responsible is really the only way 
to do it healthily. And I think it is a personality thing. Like if you're into fire and all that, knock yourself out. Like I guess I'd like I'm fired and all that stuff, right? Like I get it. <laughs> I'm I'm there, but I think the trap is if you're living this tight budget to build money to save so then you can retire, well, what amount of money do you want to live on once you've retired? The same small amount that you were living on while you were trying to save to retire mm-hmm. or would you rather just develop an awesome life and, I don't know, live fired now because you've got to work. Yeah, like, contributing well, to society is awesome. Like totally. contributing something, like being part of something is awesome. I was um, talking with someone the other day and, you know, they said, oh, do you have kids? I'm like, no, I don't have kids yet. And we got talking about this stuff and I said, oh, you know, someone I know was saying to me the other day that like there's a lot of like this societal guilt that's thrown on people that don't have kids as in you're not a success or whatever and you haven't made it quote unquote but you know and the person said to me it's like well no at the moment you don't have kids but you employ five people Mm -hmm. that's a really good contribution to society this other person might be a, a pharmacist or a doctor or an optometrist without kids but they contribute to society so yeah it's very interesting that I think it, it just doesn't have to be all or nothing. No, it doesn't. And we are very, a very all or nothing society. As people, we want to live in the extreme because it's easier. If you can live in an extreme, you don't have to make as many decisions for yourself. And that our brains are wired to make as few decisions as possible. Mm. So they love extremes. And so we say all the time, like, we're looking for the radical middle. It's radical because nobody wants to be there. It's yeah. difficult to be there. Um, but it's what works for you. And it's different for everyone. Um, yeah. But you have to really be intentional with finding your radical middle. Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to ask Jen about her top frugal hacks that she likes to use in her day-to-day life. We'll be back after this. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay, we're back. Jen, what are some low-hanging fruit things that you just have baked into your life that actually saves you money 
And that could be, well, I spend money on this because I value it Mm -hmm. and I don't spend money on that because I don't care for it or I'm a coupon queen or like... Because when I hear frugal friends, it's like, is this the coupon podcast? Oh, I hate coupons. Yeah. I hate coupons. Um, wow. Yeah. I, I always think back to I Will Teach You To Be Rich by Ramit City, where he like also hates coupons. And you, He's coupons coming are- on this podcast. I've booked him. Um, next week I'm recording. Oh, God. All right. Yeah. Um, so watch out for everyone. Yes. You'll love it. Um, where like coupons are the $3 decisions, but when you make like choices about buying your house, buying your car, where you're going to work. Those are like the $30,000 decisions. And when you focus on those, it, $3 decisions don't matter. Mm. So that's, that's my soapbox on coupons. Yeah. Um, what was the original question? Your day-to-day. Day-to-day. Okay. Frugality. <laughs> so I don't care. Would you say you're a frugal person? I am I'm frugal. I've learned to be frugal. And I've learned to act, love frugality. Uh, but naturally, no. I'm just going to bring up the definition of frugal. Oh, well, uh, Wikipedia actually offered me the best definition because I actually had to look up the definition of frugal because I thought I should know that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, dictionary.com said sparing or economical with regard to money or food. Yeah, economical. Or simple and plain and costing little. Simple living is also a frugal living hack. Yeah. I would say simplicity is... And, and simple doesn't have like doesn't mean like off grid. We're making our own butter sort of thing. Milking our own goats to make yeah. soap. No, it means you've just taken out all the fluff that stresses you out. Yeah, like all the things that really stress you out. That's probably an indicator that they need to go. They're also probably costing you money. So mm. like, if you're super busy, then you're probably getting more takeout than cooking at home. Um, you're probably not making wise decisions at the end of the day because you got decision fatigue from from being so busy all day. So you're scrolling Amazon at night and, and impulse buying. So stress has like an a indirect effect on how much you spend. But I would say my... That was our editor, Nathan. <laughs> Jen's nice. wondering why was the guy walking fast and just patted me on the head. <laughs> um. So I think no matter how much money you have, I think it behooves you to meal plan. And you don't even have to do it yourself. There are great meal planning services out there on the internet that can do it for you for any lifestyle or diet. But what it does is it keeps you focused. Like you know what you're going to have for dinner this week. So there's no, what am I going to eat tonight? It reduces your spending at the grocery store, which then reduces food waste which is better for the planet and for your overall spending. And it's, and it's healthier. Yeah. Um, and unless you're buying like really healthy takeout, which is then more expensive anyway. So I think that's probably the most important part. And, it, and meal planning doesn't mean you cook at home seven days a week. It means you plan three, four, five, whatever works for you nights that you're going to eat at home. And you just buy that food and be realistic. Like if three nights a week is what's for you, just be realistic about it and then plan to eat out. Yeah, it's funny because one of your, and we'll talk about it soon, um, one of your recent episodes, you're talking about there's nothing new under the sun. And, you know, the meal planning thing, like everyone listening to this podcast, this is the sign that you needed. There is nothing Mm -hmm. magical about personal finance. There is nothing (laughs) magical about saving money. There's nothing magical about... Being healthy, 
it's you get results with what you pay attention to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you guys meal plan a couple of days a week or whatever, at least have some type of plan. Because I think for me, when I go to the supermarket and I consciously say, I'm not spending more than X amount and I put the numbers in my calculator as I put them in my trolley, ta-da, I don't overspend at the supermarket mm-hmm. because I'm paying attention. Oh, and I love grocery shopping online. That's and an picking even better way. Because you can yeah. keep a running total. Having to add it up on my calculator on my phone when I had to shop in person. I'm a boomer. Was so. <laughs> <laughs> At heart. Don't don't tell your audience. Uh, yeah, I love grocery shopping online because it helps me really. And I, honestly, I don't have a grocery budget. Mm. I have a meal plan. Yeah. And I have, and I, you know, I'll buy the generic if something. I feel is an ingredient that I won't reuse or use all of. I just skip it. So like I'll follow these recipes as close as possible to to what works for me. And that's how I reduce the food waste and I reduce the grocery bill. And I think that's everyone's biggest expense to cut. That's right. Because, yeah, going back to those big rocks, right? Mm -hmm. Stuff worrying about a $3 coffee, let's nail these big rocks. So what other things do you make sure are in control in your life with your money? So a big one for us was definitely when we were renting and then buying our house. Um, We just made sure what was important to us got included and what wasn't was not included. So for us, when we rented, it was location. So we paid a little bit more for location, but we had a really tight space and that was fine for us. Um, when we purchased, we moved out, but we wanted something renovated for our first house. So we spent a little extra on that. Yeah, because you can't have it all unless you're like yeah. Kylie Jenner. And <laughs> we may or may not have drove past her compound in uh, Holmby Hills. In <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> realistically, there's always trade-offs unless mm-hmm. you're a billionaire and you can spend $50 million on a house, right? Yeah. And, and don't think that renting is throwing money away. If you are not in a place where you want to stay for a long time, you don't have to buy, but you can. And, you know, possibly if you want to turn that into a rental down the road, like we don't, we don't believe our primary residence is an investment. It is a place where we live unless we have plans to turn it into an investment. So that was a mindset that kept us like, I don't have to have my dream house Mm. because eventually one day this will be a rental property. So that's kind of the mindset we have going into, um, to our homes Okay, we've talked about food, we've talked about homes, cars. Do you save up and pay cash? Do you do car loans? How do you guys consume your transportation? Some some people are really adamant that you should pay cash for a car. We own all our both of our cars outright. But I think if you can get a loan for less than 5%, then you're I think that's not a big deal. You know, that's definitely not a credit card or a personal loan. Mm-hmm. Um, even student loans now, you know? So if, if getting a loan on a car helps you pay down other debt or catch up on your retirement savings, if you actually do that by getting the lower interest car loan, then I think that's a fine decision. I've got a bit of a formula for car loans. Ooh, yeah. let's hear it. Do you want to hear it? Yeah. So I think if you're going to get a car loan, that's fine. Knock yourself out. You're an adult. I personally save up and pay cash. And the reasons I do that is because it slows me down 
it hurts a little more and I don't overspend. And that's just my vibe because, you know, $125 a week is more palatable than $40,000 or whatever the the purchase price is. You will spend more overall for the car if you finance it for sure. However, if you want to get a car loan, my guide is never more than four years. So, you just Mm -hmm. want it in and out of your life. Yes. I would hypothesize that I would rather you take a car loan than set up a second mortgage on your house because the chance of you paying that off as a second mortgage in four years, unlikely to happen unless you're Mm -hmm. a super freak and all that stuff. Now, I always recommend and suggest that you put maybe at least a 10% deposit down, even 20% because what that will do, it will generally make sure that you're never owing more than what the car's worth. So, at least you're paying a bit of that depreciation hit up front. Mm-hmm. Again, it's slowing you down. 20% up front, deposit. I would like to suggest that maybe three to four years old with less than 60,000 kilometers on the clock. Now, and this is the kicker because I think, and these guidelines, just have your own guidelines that you can hang your hat on. I like to say, keep your monthly repayment around 1% of your net annual income once you've put 20% in and that it's four years. So, if you're earning $60,000 a year after tax, 1% of 60000 is $600 a month. Mm-hmm. Let's keep that payment at under $600 a month. Now, there's no real science or guide, but doing the numbers with this type of formula will actually mean you don't get ridiculous. And also, I like the whole not more than 50% of your annual take-home income in depreciating yeah. cars. I love all those yeah. suggestions. So, it's just a, yeah. some type of guide and, you know, you don't have to split hairs and, mm-hmm. and do all that stuff. But, yeah, I, I just think if you go down that road, just have some guides in your life. Yeah. I think especially if you are debt-free and you are um, maxing out some type of investment account, I think paying cash for a car is definitely the way to go. I think it because of all the things that you just said, because you and you actually have the money to pay cash. If you're in a place where you're still paying off debt, you're still trying to figure out investment, you're still like trying to get yourself together, then there's no shame in taking out a car loan so that you can just have something safe to drive and still have resources to focus on this higher interest debt or this like or catching up on retirement. And for me with the whole car loan thing, I don't mind if, you know, if you're in consumer debt, right? So your credit cards, personal loans, car loans, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like you you need a car to get out there and get to work. If you yeah. you know if you've got too much car, like you know, right? <laughs> but I've kind of decided in my life and in the book that I wrote, and I will get you a copy. I think it's coming down. Um, <laughs> Jess, Jess is bringing <laughs> it down. Way. Yeah. Um, I kind of like from me being a, a retired financial advisor, I didn't want to die with my client on the car loan hill. Yeah. So, I would rather you focus, clean up all your other debt. Sure. Keep your car loan, whatever. Get your mm-hmm. budget and cash flow systems optimized and then let's get some habits and behaviors because you you win and you lose on your habits and behaviors, right? Absolutely. So I'm not going to die on the car mound. 
the car loan mound hill mm-hmm. or whatever. So yeah, and that's kind of like the whole that's the whole frugal mindset that we're trying to like new mindset that we're trying to teach. Like don't don't die on these hills that people have been so adamant about telling you are the hills to die on. Figure it out for your life. And don't use crappy things as an emotional crutch or or an excuse. And I'll give you an example. And everyone will hate me for this. (laughs) People say, I need a brand new car because they're safer. Mm. I need a brand new car because I've got a family. Okay. If you want to go down that road... And by definition, if you hang your hat on that excuse to buy a brand new car, by definition, I need you to buy a brand new car every year because after the first 12 months, your logic is out the window. Just say, I want a new car and buy a new one. These girls behind me are offended. I know they are. They're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you said that. And this is the whole owning your financial decision. And sure, let's carve out COVID and new cars are cheaper than secondhand at the moment. You probably can't get them anyway yet. But, you know, just don't use excuses to do things that you know you shouldn't. Mm -hmm. Because how often do we justify crap? Emotionally. Every day. Yeah. Every single day we're trying to rationalize our spending decisions so that we feel better about them. Because yeah. we know they're not actually things that we care about. You now, if you care about like having the newest car, if that's something you actually really care about, then just say it. Own it. Yeah. Own it. But you can't care about everything. You, you can't say you care about everything. You, there's got to be stuff that you don't care about. And it's got to... You got to have enough stuff to say no to, to, to balance out the loving of new cars or have an income the size that you can justify caring about that. I knew a guy once and he had a, a, an investment portfolio with over $20 million in it, right? So a f- good chunk of change. He had an old secondhand Subaru uh, Forester. Do you have Foresters here? Oh, yeah. Yeah. They have a cult following too. Yeah, yeah. So, so he had this old piece of crap. <laughs> mm-hmm. He could buy a new Forester every month for the rest of his life, brand new, and he wouldn't notice a dip on his net worth, right? But he just didn't value a new car. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I just think it's good to talk about this car stuff because cars, like what are some big things in our life? Where we live, what we drive what we do for work, what we eat, what we eat, who we shack up with. That's, those are the top five. Pretty much. And yeah, we need to probably talk about this stuff more, but um, live, drive. Okay. So your career, if we're, you know, rounding out some of this stuff, what were you doing before the podcast? And you're doing it full time now. Yeah. So I do the podcast full time now. Before that, I was uh, freelance writing, personal finance, but before that, I was an acupuncturist and that's where my student loans came from that I had to pay off and how I got into writing. And how much student loan debt did you have yourself? I had 50,000. My husband had 24 and I think we had like 4K in a car loan. Yeah, wow. Um, So that made up our 78. Hey, just random sidebar, this um, Biden clearing student loan debt, what's the take on the ground? Because I'm just looking at it and seeing it mm-hmm. and I think it's so weird. <laughs> it is. It is weird. Like um, it's, it's a kick in the face to someone who last week 
managed to pay off their student loan mm-hmm. and this week they get told, oh, if you didn't pay it off, the government would have wiped it. Right. It, it's funny because I lost, I had a Pell Grant and so I would have gotten $20,000 of forgiveness. Um, so like I missed out on that, but I feel like I gained a lot more in the journey. So I don't feel like I missed out on anything. Sure. But per the facts, the the government stopped funding public education as as much as it did when we had the recession in 2008 to 12. So higher education costs skyrocketed and that, and the government saved a lot of money and gave it to banks. Um, so they were on that. That was a bill that they should have been paying for people regardless. And so by doing this, they actually save a lot of money. Right. Um, so it's a good deal for them. Um, but, but that's looking at it just from like a, 20,000 foot view like a lot of people have a lot of heated opinions yeah the optics don't look great right no so yeah everyone has their own unique opinion depending on how much debt they have I think yeah yeah interesting (laughs) so yeah um and just finally like I think you talked on it very briefly at the start around the budgeting what's your budgeting style and how do you guys set up your accounts So Jill and I actually have different budgeting styles. So Jill budgets, like she has a Google Sheet. Neither of us uses any of the apps. She has a Google Sheet that she does her budget in. She looks at it twice a month. I am the person that throws everything at the investing, the saving, all of that stuff, and then just kind of spends whatever's left. And, And we spend really intentionally, so we have money left over, but we've been doing this for a while and we're, we've considered having a more written down thing just so that we're, my husband and I are both on the same page more. Uh, but that's kind of how we do it now. I really value flexibility. So having something written down is just very suffocating for me. A written down plan. I love planning, but like I love to more to do lists rather if, if maybe I put budgeting down in a to-do list, I might actually write out a budget. But so that's kind of how we we do it. And I think there are a bunch of ways, like on that spectrum, there are a bunch of ways to make it's it's just a spending plan. So you can spend, you can make a really detailed plan that's got a lot of categories, if that's what you love, or you can make one that's just one category mm. where it's we're spending on all the foundational stuff. And then we have whatever's left over in, in another category for the guilt-free values-based spending. So it's just really what works for you, what's sustainable for you. But the most important part is just being intentional about yeah. the transactions. And that's like, so for the new listeners, you know, I run the Glenn James Spending Plan, which is my online course. And it's more of a tool to help people change their behaviors. Mm-hmm. And it gives the savers some permission to spend but it gives the spenders some boundaries and a bit more of a structure yeah because i actually i can't do zero based budgets oh i can't i can't either i'm just like no life's fluid uh-huh one week i might not spend 18 dollars on coffee and and a zero based budget also produces this cycle of guilt and shame in finance that is just perpetuated by more zero-based budgets because you're never going to do one perfectly. And that's why if you, if you want to do a zero-based budget, you have to have like a, a 5 to 10% miscellaneous category. Totally, because life like required. happens. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so yeah, if you can do it without 
the guilt and shame that will come with you inevitably not following it, then do it. Then it's a great tool. But but this is the whole thing. Like I've just said for years, like there isn't the system that works. There's a system that works for you and mm-hmm. your A system is the system. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's what works for you. And, and like you said, the behaviors and the habits part, way more important. Yeah. Way more important. Like you should look at your transactions every month to make sure, you know, there's no subscriptions you didn't realize you were paying for, that all the transactions are transactions you made, not somebody else. Like that's super important. And a budget is valuable for, for giving yourself space to do that. But if you, but you can make a budget all day long, and if you are not skilled in the habits and the behaviors needed to follow it, it's just going to provide you more guilt and shame in this perpetuating cycle. Yeah, and I'm pretty loose with like my spending plan because what it did, it changed the behavior, so I don't do dumb things anymore, mm-hmm. and everything's all good, right? Like, and that's the biggest compliment I can receive is someone doing the online course, setting up the spending plan turning their life around and then outgrowing my system because they've developed a system that works for them because Mm -hmm. they've got their habits and behaviors under control, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. In the short time we've got left, one of your recent episodes, which I started listening to it in research for this podcast, you talked about the ancient art of Cahiba. (laughs) It's like Kakebo or Kakebo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's Japanese. Yeah. And you said, (laughs) you know, nothing's new under the sun. Right. And you kind of, this theme kind of has flown through our discussion today about this value stuff. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, just explain a bit about the episode and people can jump on and have a listen. We might put a link in the show notes to that episode. Uh, Yeah. what, What is that? So, I was introduced to... Kakebo, Kakibo. I'm so sorry if you're Japanese. Yeah, I apologize. Gazebo. (laughs) I was doing research. Placebo. Sorry. (laughs) Some budgeting is. Yeah. Uh, So I was introduced to it doing research for a different episode um, on just kind of like mindfulness in your spending. Because that's one of the reasons I love using Google Sheets if you're going to do a budget because it allows you to track transactions manually And that forces you to, like, think about the transaction you've made, why you've made it, uh, the amount it is. And that's going to teach you more about your spending than anything else, just tracking your transactions. It's also really inconvenient to do it manually, which is why so many people want it done automatically. Um, but, But that is the whole idea around Kakibo, is that you are, it's like four categories. You've got your kind of your necessities, your like culture, like stuff like that. You've got your like wants and then something else. But the the main idea behind it is that you are tracking every transaction manually and they want you to like write it down pen and paper. I think doing it on your phone in a Google sheet is also fine. Um, but writing it down after every transaction, even the the mortgage payment or the utility payment, so, so you're that you can feeling connect. It. Yes. Yeah. So you can connect to it and you can think about it, and you can think about is this an expense that I want to keep making? Because sometimes it was right for a season, mm. um, and then we just take it for granted and we keep doing it. it. May not be right for this season or for future seasons, and so this keeps you really connected to your money and your spending. And that's what I loved about it more so than 
even the budgeting method side of it is the concept of being mindful about your spending. And then it's got this like list of questions that you answer at the end of the month to essentially just bring it all full circle. I think it's so important. And for those who have asked about our My Money journals, we are updating them and they will come for another kind of limited edition release because I'm such a fan of getting things out of my head onto paper and it works. Like, do it with your goals. Like, I travel with like a notebook. Like, mm, I got my notebook in my backpack oh, too. <laughs> I got this from a store in Sydney. Um, it's called, I don't know what it's called, but feel, it's a Japanese store. So oh. feel how nice the paper is. <gasps> That's smooth. Yeah, it's like the Japanese Ikea. Jap- I mean, the Japanese just like know their parchment. They're it's- so good. They make great cars, yeah. great products. Way to so, go. So yeah, take a listen to that because I think it's, um, hey mate, how are you? I think it's so amazing to just reassess and mm-hmm. connect with our spending. Yes, absolutely. And it doesn't mean that you have to spend less. Mm. That's not what it means. Getting in touch with your spending is not meant to guilt you into spending less. But when we connect with our spending, we think about it, it kind of just naturally flows in that, okay, I value this transaction way more than this transaction. Why is that? And can I eliminate this one to get more of this other one? Yeah, that's really cool. And I love doing this podcast because I <laughs> it's so selfish because I'm like, I'm using this for my own accountability. Oh, I do the same thing. <laughs> like, when we bring guests on, it's like, yeah. oh, I want to learn about this. Yeah, and it just keeps me on track. Like, I'm not your guru, everyone. I'm just <laughs> a guy who's encouraging you. That's all I can do, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, yeah, it's fascinating. Like, we've just recently completed our national tour and there's so many people like, oh, thanks, Glenn, and thanks, John, for like, changing our lives and like we didn't do it you did it yeah we just gave you the direction and we kind of like give the same information every week and also the same information that other people are giving just in a different way maybe maybe with a little more empathy yeah i've got zero empathy but (laughs) we have we have have a a smidge of empathy yeah yeah it's Um, wild and yeah but but i'm not making the change no no what in finishing, two questions. What's the worst piece of money advice that you think you've ever received? Okay, we literally just answered this question. We do a lightning round at the end of every episode where we, it's like our vulnerable Ooh. section. Yeah. Um, so I just answered this. Uh, the worst piece of advice was to just give your, when you're ready to start investing, just give your money to a money manager and let them handle it. Just don't think about it. Just give it to them. Let them handle it. And I almost followed through with that in advice. And I know tons of people who have. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very common advice. And and I'm so glad that I didn't. And it was kind of thanks to financial media, podcasts, YouTube. I was able... I had a meeting with a guy who was hawking actively managed funds at high fees. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, this... I don't know if this feels... Right. And I just had like a gut feeling. And so I was able to go do an internet search, find trusted people in financial media uh, to offer an alternative view that I felt more, mm. you know, good about. And so, and I, I'm not an investment professional or I wouldn't even call myself an expert at this point. I do a lot of research in it. 
but I, there's still so much that I don't consider myself an expert mm. and I manage my own portfolio. But that's the difference with your, you can have a car mechanic, for example, who services your car and you can ask, what did you do? How did you do it? What stuff are you using? Like you can be involved in the process, right? Rather than just throwing the keys, yep, service that, send me the bill. Yeah. Like I think it is that connection. Yeah. No, I think, I think certified financial planners are a great asset. Um, but it's the blindly outsourcing your stuff. Yes. That um, and to people that are selling a product um, over trying to like help you find the best product for you. Do you know in Australia, no financial investment product has built-in commission that's hidden? That's not so in the United yeah. States. So, <laughs> not so you've got to pay a fee for service. Yeah. No, yeah. And, and it's just so much. But it's so, it's so clean and transparent. But there's yeah. still this old wives tale. Like I answered an email this morning. Someone's like, oh, can you recommend me to a financial advisor? Because the one I went to, they just had lots of hidden stuff. And they were gouging. I'm like, well, no, that's actually incorrect. There's no <laughs> hidden, like, let me... I'm going to find the actual word. Yeah. In the US, your insurance salesman can be your financial advisor. Well, in Australia, you've got to be a financial advisor to deal in life insurance. Oh. Yep. Um, here's the word. My accountant sent me to his in-house financial advisor who was directing me into high-cost funds where he got kickbacks from. So, that's there's this myth out there that Hmm. Advisors can get kickbacks. It just can't happen. Yeah, it just and it's, it's uh, against yeah. the, the they. You can't list a product and register it with like ASIC, APRA, get a product disclosure statement, all that regulate. Like you can't do it. It's against the law. Yeah, in the US, it's hard to discern who's because you can look at the letter CFP behind the name, but mm. nobody really knows what that means unless you're like in the industry. So it's hard for a normal person to figure out, am I seeing somebody who takes a commission or am I seeing somebody who has a fiduciary responsibility mm. to me? Yeah. So, yeah. And on the flip side, what's the best piece of money advice you've ever received? So, I'll, I'll say this with a grain of salt. Mm. The, the best money advice has been um, to pay off your debt. And, and that was because it was a low barrier to entry, easy to understand first move to make. Um, and I had to grow beyond that. If you just stay at that piece of information and that becomes the, you know, the God of finance you bow down to, mm. that's the, the hill you want to die on, that becomes unhealthy. But it was just getting over that little barrier, making those small wins with this one thing that showed me I had power mm. over my money. Yeah. Uh, and I could make the decisions. So I think that was, that was the best first piece of advice just so I think the root behind that is just small choices small steps do one thing yeah because the whole debt thing right it just we don't wake up with a credit card balance of six thousand dollars because we purchased one lounge for six thousand dollars it's death by a thousand cuts it's Mm -hmm. systematically overspending month on month yep that's all it is and if you've paid one cent of interest on a credit card over the last 12 months, you shouldn't have that credit card if you're still actively using it. Mm-hmm. I know that you know a lot of you listening are cleaning up your act and trying to get on the right track, but mm-hmm. you know it's um, 
it's all it's all gooch, people. But you just got to um, make sure you're not systematically spending more than what you earn month on month. Yeah, that's probably the that's probably the real best advice is don't mm. spend more than you earn month over month. But that's so dumb and boring. <laughs> I want some good advice. I know. I know. <laughs> oh, like is there a crypto scheme that I can just make a million dollars overnight? I wish. Yeah. I'd be a millionaire and yeah. I'd be doing something else. Straight up. Yeah. <laughs> well, Jen Smith from the Frugal Friends podcast. We'll put a link in the show notes and you can check out uh, Jen and Jill's podcast. And thanks for joining me live at FinCon. Thank you for having me. This has been fun and interesting and I didn't get as distracted as I thought I would. I, I got a little distracted because <laughs> I'm, I'm not good at concentration. Okay, bye. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.